Content warning, discussions of drug use, colonialism, and terrorism. Hello and welcome to the Billy Shears Club. I'm your host, Caleb Clark, and with me today we have Maddie Campbell. How are you doing today, Maddie? I'm doing well. Yourself? Oh, I'm doing all right. Thank you very much. We've got two lovely albums for you folks. We've got The Much Much How How and I by Cosmo Sheldrake and Remain in Light by Angelique Kidjo. Uh, why don't you give us a little, little information on Cosmo there, Maddie? So Cosmo Sheldrake is a independent artist. He was born in 1990. Um, his father is a... He started out in science, but now studies parapsychology, which is sort of like ESP sort of ideas. Um, his mother is a vocal coach, and his brother, whose first name is Merlin is a mycologist. He studies mushrooms. And I bring all this up because Cosmo Sheldrake's debut album, The Much Much How How and I, has a lot of these influences to it. There are a lot of lyrics inspired by his brother's and his father's study of the natural world. And there's a lot of whimsy and poetry to the album as well. It's an album that I think is criminally underknown, which is why I brought it up. It's also one of the more obscure albums that I enjoy. So it is also my album I recommend to people when I want to feel cool. But Maddie, you are cool. Aw, thank you. Thank you. All right. In that case, ready to dig in? Sure. All right. Uh, do you prefer your tracks or just go track by track? Uh, I think like, we can go track by track. Let's. Okay. Yeah. So, Yum kicks off with "Linger Longer," which is a fun thing to say. "Linger Longer." What do you think on that one? Uh, Linger Longer is a very good opening track. I love the kind of slow overture feel it has at the beginning. Um, this album in general always has this very strong, very summery energy for me. I first listened to it during the polar vortex of 2019 when you and I were both going to college in southern Michigan. And it was negative 35 with wind chill outside. And my room felt like it could have exploded into green vines at any moment because this album just has that, I don't want to use the word vibe, but that's the best I can describe it, that tone, rather. It always feels like there's going to be some sort of fairy out in the woods that's going to lure you in with all these vines and growing things. And uh, Linger Longer very much ties into that aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, cool. I definitely really like it. I guess I generally I took a different private approach, I guess I would say. Like, uh, mine is more of a very... I don't know what exactly you would call it. Say if I start with like the more concrete stuff, like this is one of the ones where he really shows off his chops as sort of a soundtracking producer, composer type, where he's like using all these different woodwinds and making this. Yeah, the very... woodwinds are a huge element on all of the songs on this album, pretty much. Yeah. This man loves spassoons. And I get on uh, this one it's a little bit more eerie, I feel like. It's a little bit Danny Elfman-ish, like when he's on Tim yeah. Burton, but like, like, vaguely nautical and Yeah, fun. Linger Longer and, and Pleiocene tend to be a little bit more on the eerie side compared to some of the others. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's also a really good one. After that, we get Wriggle. I like that one. That one's a bit... Yeah, Wriggle's fun. Wriggle has, I think, one of my favorite, like, hooks on the album. But like, oh, no, let's go down. They get like, the, yeah, in the background. It, it feels, again, that, that image, the image I always connect with the, 
it sort of feels like you're being allowed to just run wild with your friends on like some big lawn or a forest somewhere. You're just going full, I don't know, Peter Pan with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's a very British children. Charging into the woods with the chaotic good Goblin King. <laughs> some, like, the cute and comfy parts of Narnia and Lord of the Rings. Like, not the... Yeah, the apocalypse no. and Honestly, battles is like the Shire. The Narnia connection is a very apt one. This album always makes me think of the bit in Prince Caspian where like Bacchus shows up randomly and vines start uh, growing on everything and everybody goes crazy, but in a good way. That's... Yes, that's you do! <laughs> nice, yes. Cosmo Sheldrake is very much that kind of Dionysian vibe. Not in the let's all just go out and do drugs in the woods and tear a snake in half kind of do drugs in the woods, but more of the <laughs> like... Let's enjoy the kind of wild side of nature and kick off our shoes and run around a little. Yeah. Is the, this is a kind strain of sativa, etc. Yes. That kind of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't really... I don't know if I ever... I don't know if I ever... That is a full-on pan mode, but I do definitely feel he's like very interested. I don't know. He, he always feels still a bit human to me, like... Oh, he's absolutely. The, he's not like fully eldritch, but there is that that yeah. touch to him. Yeah. Which again, Maybe I think like, partially because his family is so like unabashedly lovably strange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's like, you know how sometimes in stories like uh, the Professor in Narnia where it's like the kids who have gotten too old to go back to the fantasy land, but they've got like a wink and a smile. And it's yes. like sort of pointing the kids towards it. Like that's the vibe I get from him sometimes. Yes, absolutely. Um, moving on to the next track, Bertha Basket. Just the meter of the opening line is so catchy. I love it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't ordinarily go that rapid fire with his lyrics, so Bertha Basket really gets your attention. It's also a very, it's a calmy song. I'm pretty sure it's about building a nest and how to design it. So like leave a hole in the roof so we can let the stars in. So it's, it's a very cute song. <laughs> yeah, I definitely love how he like has those sort of, Almost nature poems, basically. Like, it's always nice how much he appreciates just the cute little things of like the animal kingdom and and whatnot. Yeah, every, pretty much every song has some sort of nature-based element in it in some way. Mm -hmm. He's always riffing on or wondering at the natural world, even in like even in those moments of like greater whimsy. Like, come along mentions heffalumps, um, which <laughs> don't exist. But like, and Pleiocene, I think, is about dinosaurs. But there's always this element of humans as explorers as discoverers studying this world and learning about all the intrinsic beauty it has to offer and that's one of the things i really appreciate um, i don't know if you good next one uh birthday suit uh listening to birthday suit makes you realize why it took off on tiktok it's got that very like driving sort of riff at the beginning it's got a good beat um, the lyrics are strange enough that they're applicable in a lot of situations, which I know is important for TikTok humor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, don't know. I think it's it was interesting used for a meme of people walking at the camera, which I don't quite understand. But hey, if it gets more people listening to Cosmo Sheldrake, I'll allow it. <laughs> I think it definitely is interesting where it's like the image of Cosmo Sheldrake naked, but it's like, you know, like, I don't know, there's the general connotations within like modern times and like more Western European of like, you know, if you're naked, there's some sort of like, you know, 
cruder aspect to it. But like, this is just like, it's cool to have your clothes off. It's fun to have your clothes off in like a really chill way. I, I feel like that definitely. It's his vibe. It's like nudity, cool. Yeah. Birthday Suit is definitely overshadowed by the next track, though, which is one of the two big songs on the album, which is Come Along, a.k.a. the song mm. that was in an Apple commercial one time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, love, I love Come Along. Come Along shines. It's one of the stars of the album, and for good reason. It takes everything really good about Cosmo Sheldrake, like those whimsical lyrics, the kind of catchy drum beat, the heavy use of woodwinds, and it combines it all into this very goofy sort of fun song about exploring the world until the sun goes down. Um, also, it has an element that you don't hear in a lot of his songs, but it's used to really good effect in Come Along, which is... um. There's this tuned kettle drum in the background. You can kind of hear it do that, like the boom, glissando. He doesn't use that kettle drum in a lot of the pieces that I heard, but he does use it in pieces of songs. But he does use it in Come Along. Cool. So if yeah, you listen to it, you know, like during the verses, there's always the pause right before the next line, and you hear that like doom. I think that's a kettle drum. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely my one of my favorite tracks from here for pretty much all those ones you listed. Like mm -hmm. you know, this great beat. I think it's probably. One of his more lyrical ones, like a lot of these for, at least for me, are a bit more vibe-based, but this one definitely feels like yeah, it was Come more Along attention. Has, has lyrics and a structure a lot yeah. more than some yeah. of the others. Like they yeah. all have some structural commonality. A lot of them start with like one or two woodwinds and then slowly the rest of the song fades in. Um, yeah. But Come Along actually has much more of a song-like structure to it than some of the others. And then it's followed up by Solar Waltz, which is, in my opinion, underrated. I love Solar Waltz. It's so gentle and soothing. Yeah, it's really it nice. Like, it feels like the kind of song my mother would sing when I was having a bad day. Oh. Just, I, I love the opening line of just time she did as time she does. It just, it has a very this too shall pass tone to it. And it's a song about like how the sun and the moon have to waltz around the sky to help things to grow. Plus, I'm just partial to a good waltz. Yeah, it's definitely really nice. Like Something about another... that three-part time just hits different. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely... Yeah, I do, I do love that one, too. It's a very gentle song. And the the lyrics... This, this is another one that's a bit more lyrical, and it really works. Like the, yeah. Just lovely imagery. It's a good time. It's nice. Mind of Rocks is interesting because I think it's the only one he collaborated with another artist on because there is a female voice on that album and I cannot remember her name right now. <laughs> I think it, I think it said on the Spotify it was Bunty. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, I think this one was interesting for me. It's a much more churning beat and with her very different vocal style. It's like, you know, Cosmo Schultrake is this very low voice, very gentle and sonorous, you know, he's sort of like, yeah. whereas she's much higher pitched and a little bit more siren, like I would say. Yeah, you know, Mind of Rock definitely leans more onto the eerie side of the album for me. Yeah. And the, I'm not sure what the lyrics were, I'm not entirely sure what they were about, but it seemed to be more of like a darker, almost like critical thing of like having this sort of very stultified business like mine made out of rocks. Yeah. Just, you know. Yeah. 
the lyrics are all the lyrics are not the the main thing I think on most of the album. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think you've got a pretty good interpretation. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the lyrics right now. Um, claim to castle, the gate crashed, the island. Harmony once was imparted. The second verse, however, ends with like, let's grow stuff together. So I think it is kind of a transitional song about sort of getting away from the mind of rocks, but maybe I'm reading too much into it. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows these things? I do not know these things. Uh, Spring Bottom is one of the tracks I really don't get. It's the only completely instrumental track on the album, unless you count the uh, the bubbles. Um, I think it's meant to serve as a sort of interlude, but it's difficult to say. Um, it and I think Beetroot Kavas are the only two I really, really don't get on the album. Which isn't to say I don't think they have a purpose. I think they do. I just don't quite understand what that purpose is. This album isn't particularly story-based. It's not a, a concept album. It's not really meant to have a through line, as far as I can tell, the way that, say, The Wall or even Remain in Light does. Uh, but I do think that there's some sort of reason he included that song, even if it's just playing around with texture and sound. I think considering that he's, you know, a compo like a big part of his is like composing and more of like putting together the woodwinds and all the beat textures and stuff and the weird sound effects. It makes sense in that regard, you know, it's like a brief interlude. But I will say, like this is sort of where part of the album turned for me a little bit. Where like I don't know, the it just didn't work for me to I don't know, sparse and lumpy, I guess, of a beat. <laughs> and so it just like didn't really connect for me. And then, and then the next few songs don't connect nearly as much as the first half either. So it just ends up being the big demarcation point of you. This is all your fault. Uh, right, egg and soldier time. Yeah, sure, egg and soldier. This is. The music video for this one is really interesting, and I would recommend you give it a watch. It's very uh, Mr. Blue Sky. It keeps changing animation styles. This one's interesting because this one, Egg and Soldier has a lot of um, a lot of nursery rhyme allusions. Like the chorus is swap cow for bean and grow a stalk to tangle with the clouds. So I'm not sure. It, it goes a lot more literary than the rest of the album. Um, according to Cosmo Sheldrake, it's about hubris and short-sightedness. Which makes sense, I suppose, because the egg and soldier, like you've got the Humpty Dumpty sort of image. Um, also, a lot of the references to poems where somebody climbs too high and falls and gets in trouble because of it. it makes sense. You don't recognize that when you first listen to it because you're kind of overtaken by just the groove. <laughs> I definitely got that short sightedness, right? Because there was the one. Line. I was looking over at my shoulder, only thinking of the short term, but time was looking back at me. Like that was yeah. pretty. And searching for heaven underground. And then playing while Venice drowns. Summerings once they have us now. It is definitely the one with the dark term. I would, I would say this sort of like Spring Bottom. It's got the more. The slower beat that isn't quite as like interwoven with a bunch of pieces it's more just like and so that it doesn't quite hit me the same as the earlier ones but it's still pretty good I, it's growing yeah. on me i feel with like repeat lessons yeah um axolotl i don't have much to say about axolotl honestly um 
I like the title. Axolotls are cool, and more people should know about them, but it's not, like, a song that you remember very well. I think there's at least one lyric that references the fact that axolotls are endangered partially because their water is being polluted. So again, we have that element of the natural world. Again, Cosmo Sheldrake's brother is a biologist who studies fungi, so there's a lot of relation and a lot of resources available for him to sort of talk about the natural world, both ideally and realistically, I suppose. Yeah, yeah I don't think I add too much on axolotl, too. They're cool fish. No, they well, they're yeah. actually salamanders. They're um, salamanders? Yeah, no, they're not fish. They live underwater. They exhibit this behavior called neoteny, which is basically like instead of transitioning into full adulthood, they can just stay and sort of like think about if a frog could sort of grow legs but still had like gills like a tadpole and could just live in the water like that forever. That's basically what axolotls are. They can be transitioned into fully adult salamanders under the right conditions, but if they're left alone, they'll just stay like that forever. They're basically salamanders that just look like babies their whole lives. <laughs> they're high school dropout salamanders. <laughs> basically. <laughs> Next up is Pliocene, which I actually really like. I'm not sure if Pliocene is meant to make me sad about dinosaurs, but it does. It also yeah, has a very interesting line. There goes that myth again that all of this is but a machine. This idea that there is more to nature than just determinism, which is not a theme played with in a lot of the album, but I find it interesting that he brings it up. <laughs> it's yeah, also got is... some recordings of actual animals, including a, uh, a recording of a raven in Algonquin National Park. He does sample, if you listen, a lot of, like, animal noises and nature. He has an entire album called Wake Up Calls that I think are just recordings of birds. And then, um... Due to an error in the original recording, the segment on the song Linger a While by Cosmo Sheldrake was deleted. The co-host's thoughts on the song. Maddie Campbell. One of the less memorable songs, but still good. Like the echoing of the lyrics at certain points, really adds to the dreamlike quality. Caleb Clark. Generally, I agree. One of the less notable and shorter songs, but still the decent atmosphere. We now proceed with the original recording. So after Linger a While comes Beetroot Kvass, uh, which is the second to last song on the album, unless you're listening to, I think, the deluxe version. Uh, but Beetroot Kvass is another instrumental album, or instrumental track, excuse me. Uh, and which means that I struggle a little bit more to figure out why it's here other than just Cosmo Sheldrake having fun, which is absolutely valid. Um, I know that beetroot kvass, I can't talk, is a, is a drink um, popular in Eastern Europe. So I know what he's being inspired by. It's just as somebody who always tries to find a story or a through line to connect song to song to song, um, this one baffles me a little. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think... I think he does seem like, on the whole, just, you know, sort of, at some level, playing around, whether with words or with instrumentals, so it makes sense. I do like I do like this one more than Beat Rukabas. It has sort of the violins and sort of the warped feeling to it, so it's kind of nice. But it's then, definitely overshadowed by the closing song, which is Hawking. Oh! Hawking was inspired, according to Cosmo Sheldrake, by Mardi Gras, and it shows, because that thing closes out on the biggest brass band you'll ever hear on the album. Oh, I love that. I love it when songs just decide, like, let's let the brass band go. You guys don't have to keep time. You guys don't have to stay in the key signature. You just, like, generally wander 
in whatever direction you feel. That's a very cool effect. Yeah, there isn't it. even a chorus. The chorus is the brass band and that kind of like da, 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 da motif and getting louder and louder. This one, yeah. this one very much is, this is a very good closer to the album. It always makes me feel like you're marching through the streets somewhere or like it's midsummer and finally all the like fairies in the woods are coming out to play, that sort of energy to it. Yeah, definitely. And again, most of the lyrics also still have that like nature image to it. Like, where do roots go? What do birds know? It's never trying to specifically answer those questions, but again, there's always that sense of curiosity. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I haven't really looked at the lyrics before because I guess just because I was enraptured yeah. by the wing and beat. Just yeah, it's definitely a very dramatic closer, and really ties up the album really nicely for me, like after the stretch of ones where I was like, this is okay, this is good. Like they were growing on me, but this is the one where it's immediately like, oh yeah. Yeah, and it's, it introduces some new ideas, which if he ever puts together another album like Much Much How How and I, I hope he plays with the brass more because it seems to work really well with a lot of what he does. Yeah, I think, I think it, I, I could stand to have more Cosmo Shieldrake brass compositions in my life agreed but yes hawking is the one on this album that i've listened to the most i would say followed by come along um hawking is just it's just fun <laughs> it's a good song yeah. to to when you're heading to work <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah overall really great album really fun time good vibes interesting lyrics really enough it's from the, uh, it's from the same year as um, Remain in Light, which I think is our other album to discuss today. Yeah. You know, you usually do that. Usually it's either I pick something really new and the other person picks something really old or I pick something that's kind of old and the other person picks something really new. So. Well, I mean, your chosen album is technically a cover of an 80s album, so it's both. Yeah. So we'll get into that then. All right. Remain in Light, the Angelique Kidjo version. So background on Angelique, uh, she's a lady born in July 1960 in the country of Benin in West Africa, actually about two weeks before Benin got its independence from France, so woot woot, down with colonizers. Anywho, uh, yeah, so she grew up in a very musical family, like her mom was an actress and heavily involved in theater, and so she got with some training, and eventually decided to, I think she was in a band at one point, and then decided to get a solo recording career. Started making albums in the 80s, but ended up having to move to Paris because of some, like, I think there was some unrest in Benin, or at any rate, her career wasn't really working there. She ends up getting like much wider acclaim with the album Le Gozel, and this sort of when she's in France, and it's sort of like dance meets like various African musical traditions meets you know whatever she can find. And so at that point, she just sort of does whatever for the rest of her career. She's very big in sort of the global music scene, where it's you know like artists from all these different countries that sort of tour in the big city sort of artsy type thing. Yeah, uh, she's collaborated with a lot of people. I know Philip Glass oh, yeah. wrote a piece for her and I think the Luxembourg Symphonic Orchestra, which is a pretty big mm -hmm. deal. Like Philip Glass mm -hmm. is a pretty big name in 20th century music and he doesn't write songs for just anyone. Yeah, yeah. And also uh, she collaborated with uh, Manu Dibango, who and uh, Dr. John, who both have had episodes on the show. And uh, also the producer for Los Lobos, who appeared on Graceland, which is another album we covered on the show. But, and then uh, yeah. I think Vampire Weekend's lead singer appears somewhere on Remain in Light, although I couldn't tell you which track. 
Uh, I think it was. I think it was listening wind. It was one of the later ones. I know. That makes sense. But, uh, yeah. And the. Uh, she also speaks like seven languages, including one she created let me, herself. Let me, let me do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She does that. Uh, it was six. Yeah, English. It was six. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember being impressed because that's way more languages than I can speak. And it made me wish that I knew more of the languages she knew because she uses a lot of different languages on the album. And so I can't help but wonder what other messages she's putting in that I'm just not able to understand. Yeah. yeah. And over the course of the and over the course of the career, she's sort of like generally tried to like continue and uphold the various musical traditions in Africa and like, bring out how they've influenced like different musical styles in America, like gospel and various American styles. And uh, yeah, she's been going to this day. She's also a goodwill ambassador for UNICEF and has a charity in West Africa to help women get higher education. So really cool lady. Now background on this, yeah, background album info on this album in particular. So Man Light, of course, is the album by Talking Heads in 1980. Very big album that requires its own biography story and whatnot but one of the key things that connect that was her inspiration was david byrne was heavily inspired by nigerian jazz artist fela kuti as well as like this book on african cultures and she and by the way he's like actually pretty big and sort of more again the global music scene he set up a label to like sign people and help distribute their music and she's like oh that's pretty cool and so she was like sort of furthering the exchange between like you know more of the continent of Africa and those ideas versus David Byrne. And so she decided to take the cover to do an entire cover of his album in 2018. And is this, is this one right here? It actually, uh, the drummer for Fela Kuti, uh, Tony Allen, who's also a recording artist in his own right, is actually the drummer through most of this. And so it's like basically remain in light, but taken back to that more continent of Africa source of inspiration. So yeah, let's get into it. Sure. Starting off with, of course, Born Under Punches. So Born Under Punches is where I think you kind of get the sense of the idea of the album as a whole. I listened to the original Remain in Light right before listening to Angelique's version because I love Once in a Lifetime, but I've never actually listened to the whole album all the way through, and I figured I should so I can compare them. And... Yeah. The original Remain in Light is very much in that 80s alt, capitalism is a dystopia and we're all in hell sort of tone to it, which I very dearly love. It's one of the things I love most about 80s alt, actually. Um, Angelique, however, trades a lot of that, like, that that aesthetic is still there, but it becomes a lot more, it, she adds a lot more musicality, a lot more instrumentation, and a lot more melody, which makes her version a lot more listenable. I do maintain a preference for the original, but I like that she takes a lot of those ideas and adds more music to them, for lack of a better word. Like she's singing instead of doing David Byrne's kind of Shrekstimma. Shrek yeah, that's how you say it, right? Shrekstimma. Um, speaking, singing. I have no sort idea. Of deal. Um, where it's like half sung, half chanted, um, where she's doing actual melodies. And I think her voice also works really well for a lot of the lyrics on Born Under Punches and on a lot of the album, really. Um, they take on a lot more of a... I don't... It feels a lot more heavy to hear an African woman sing, I've been born under punches for a whole host of reasons, especially given oh, the fact that she grew up in a country that was fighting for its independence from France at the time. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, I'll get a lot more specific on the like how the context changes it, but yeah, this is definitely like you say just exactly that. Yeah, I think I personally have a preference because like the this style where you know the original is very nervy and skittish and it's got all the weird slap bass points in the. Oh, I like the slap bass. It grooves. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just I think I just have a personal preference where this one's you know, very tight and rhythmic with the I guess oh, yeah, the guitars the are pretty much quality, the same. The production quality is great on this whole album. Like you can definitely tell she's thought through every instrument she puts on there and why. One sec, there's a very loud car driving by. Sure. Okay. But yeah. Yeah, I would yeah, definitely that. And it just like you say Stronger vocal style. And it's a lot more confident. Like, you know, when David Byrne is singing Born Under Punches and talking about all the toils and troubles, he sounds more broken down and defeated, like he's in the middle of a giant anxiety well up. Whereas I mean, I think that's part of the point of Remain in Light, of of the original at least. It's very much got that we're all just broken down businessmen trying to survive feel to it. Um, And I think Angelique intentionally or Angelique, I should say, it's French, departs from that very intentionally, and it works really well. With yeah, one exception, said, and we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's that, yeah, definitely the confidence of having been born under those punches and, like, being able to come out. And I, I have to say, it's I know it's Ruth comment on the woman's age, but I just have to say, she was 58 when she was recording this, and it's like, my gosh, her pipes are incredible. Yeah, she took good care of her voice and it shows. I think the best yeah, way to highlight just... the contrast we're getting at is that when I listened yeah. to the original um, Born Under Punches, the line that I picked up on the most was, these are the hands of a government man. Whereas with Angelique's version, I pick up most on the line, Born Under Punches. And yeah. so it's also a question of emphasis. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I would say... It's interesting. I Like, I've been listening to these back-to-back. I wouldn't be able to say on the government... I couldn't put my finger on the David Byrne emphasis for government land, but and but I could well, definitely I don't think see that's what the emphasis he put. I don't think that's the emphasis precisely that he puts on. It's just the line that I picked up on the most because I think it gives uh, the tone of what that song is supposed to be about. There's a lot of images of like complicity in Remain in Light, at least in the original. Yeah, whereas this one is a lot more having been under everything that he's talking about because like it's yeah. the, the big difference of being you know an american guy who's talking about like africa and more of the wider world problems versus some like the same thing we've been saying several times now anyway yeah yeah <laughs> yeah after that yeah we get a uh, cross-eyed and painless uh back to back i think these are actually pretty even for me in the in terms yeah. of the two versions because it's a lot very up tempo and a bit tighter very close to the afrobeat style on Talking Heads version, but I just really love the the horn and the brass work. I mean, and bass work on her version. It's just really good. There's also definitely a contextual shift in the lyrics here as well. Like when David Byrne sings in 1980s, facts don't do what I want them to, facts just twist the truth around. It doesn't have the same urgency as a woman singing it in 2018. (laughs) Oof, you ain't lying. Yeah. Which is part of the cool thing about doing a cover, that the context of when you are singing or performing and why totally changes how people receive the song. Yeah, definitely. 
And I guess like another one, another point that's like even more like just on the level of beyond artistic situations, artistic approach is that David Byrne is a very, let's, let's face it, he's a giant nerd. He's in his own head a little bit. Like, you know, this is very. Yeah, it's 80s all. Everybody's in their own head. <laughs> yeah, he's dealing with like sitting there pondering it way too long and, and the wee hours of the night where this is again, you know, the on the ground situation. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then we get to The Great Curve, which as far as I'm concerned was written for Angelique to sing. She nails it. <laughs> she owns every word. I love it so much. Like the on the original album, the song felt a little long, but on her album, I wanted more. It's just so yeah. good. And the fact that it seems to be describing somebody very similar to her definitely helps. Like there's a lot of triumph in in the song as she performs it that is it present in the original. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's just I couldn't put it better myself except that the guitar like, solo. Yes, like singing the world moves on a woman's hips is a much easier line to deliver when you are the woman who is moving the world on her hips. <laughs> I will say, I really wish, and honestly, this could go for either version of the album, I really wish that there were like a film to go along with the album, like Pink Floyd did with The Wall for Remain in Light, because I think that would help explain a lot of the ideas that David Byrne was playing with better. Yeah. Hold on, let me. Let's stop making sense. After this album, or is that here? Stop making sense is its own album, I think, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, so we're speaking in tongues, yeah. I only know Stop Making Sense because that's the album Psycho Killer is from. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Shout yeah. out to Rock Band 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, are we ready for the big one? Oh, yes. Do you want to start Once off with Once in a Lifetime, or shall I? I, I can I can start. So, sure. Once in a Lifetime, this is the main one that I think I know and pretty much most people know from the album, like, you know, the single song. And I gotta be honest, the beat just really works for on the Talking Kids version in a way that I feel like there ended up being something lost with this version a little bit because you know it's just that very tight beat with the weird synth lines and then you know like kind of like we menu music keyboard almost <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah and then david Byrne just sort of screaming all the lyrics and it's like he definitely conveys the sense of suddenly waking up and you're in this like comfortable life and like the loss of everything you just your mind goes poof because like yeah. how did i get here <laughs> whereas this on a southern preacher which is part of the reason why i think yeah. the style lands so well like it has yeah. the feeling of like you click on the tv at 2 a.m and you just happen to land on like some 1970s yeah. broadcast of a televangelist <laughs> yeah yeah definitely i feel yeah this one it's harder because again angelique has the very confident the delivery it's much more melodic. The beat is much quicker and it has the very... And she adds this like yeah. reggae Caribbean sort of sound to it. Or at least that's the, that's the way I interpreted her instrumentation that she added anyway. 
which yeah. didn't work for me because it made it sound like letting the days go by, letting the water hold me down was less, I am drowning in my own existential crisis and more just like, yeah, I'm on the beach with a Mai Tai. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let the days go by. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think the, I think, if she'd com- was- I think if she'd committed to the strangeness of the song a little bit more, it could have worked with that kind of cheery aesthetic. Like, if she made it all the way to, my God, what have I done? And then just gone absolutely nuts with this, like, full yeah. riff where it breaks through the sort of the cheeriness a little bit. I think it could have worked, but she doesn't quite yeah. go that far. Yeah. I would I would say on the Caribbean style, I, I don't know. Like, it feels more still on the traditional African style. Like, I'm not familiar enough with either to say definitively, but, like, just the guitar style, and it's not really much on the offbeats, but... Yeah, I think you really squint and say that, again, she's recontextualizing this to, like, a life where you're able to be, you know, comfortable and happy after going through everything. But then you also just get into, like, the original song was really good, but I don't know. Yeah, the original I don't, I don't have too much is about to... having a crisis over that. I will say I am once in a lifetime is my default. I need to lie down and stare at the ceiling for a little bit song. Yeah. Just because there's something very soothing about just being able to sit down and go water dissolving and water removing and not know what it means, but understand that it hits whatever you need it to hit. Yeah. (laughs) And also this song, my dad showed me the music video for this song when he was first introducing Mm -hmm. me to a lot of the music he listened to when he was my age. So there's also a very much a nostalgia factor of watching the music video of just David Byrne going crazy in front of a green screen and going, what is this? Oh, fun fact. Uh, But yes, I think the song... Oh, you you share your fun fact. Oh, uh, the music video was directed by uh, Tony Basil, the Oh, Mickey, you're so fine, you're so fine, you blow my mind. Like, you you probably know, but like, her general listener. (laughs) (laughs) No way. That's crazy for her. She's like a dancer and choreographer and like, did a bunch of music videos, so, but yeah. Here, go. Yeah, it was Sorry. back in the early days when everybody was still figuring out what music videos were supposed to be. And it's the talking heads, so you know they're not going to uh, go gentle into this new medium. Um, <laughs> but I've always, I've always liked the existential crisis that is once in a lifetime of just questioning everything that you've ever earned and whether or not it's what you really want. Where does that highway go to? Is this your beautiful house? And then it ends with like the refrain of like the same as it ever was this sort of hamster wheel water flows underground. The water keeps flowing no matter what it's, it's a very (laughs) existential song. (laughs) It's, It's a lot of, it's a lot of fun, but I think a lot of that fun gets lost when you try to change it from like David Burns, navel gazing anxiety. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's totally fair. It's also very fun to quote. Just because there are so many situations where you can just go, well, how did we get here? And see if anybody gets it. (laughs) I will say, this is the only song on the album that I think Angelique's cover does not either at least successfully recontextualize, if not improve. I think Once in a Lifetime is just so quintessentially talking heads that you really can't cover it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's really fair. But then you have houses in motion and seen and not seen and seen and not seen, especially she does really, really well. Like that song is already really eerie and she really manages to crank that up somehow. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like with seen and not seen, it's like, that's cause in the, like, again, it brings it into the real world context of her being an African woman. And it's this song about like molding your face. 
yeah, yeah. and like some of them like the hook nose line that one's a little bit suspicious mostly from david Byrne because like you know guy talking about getting more hook nose it's like but like for her like specifically the nose and like having wider thinner lips like that's definitely trying to mold I yourself with, i will say with the context of beady eyes i think it's meant to be satire like mm. i don't think it's meant to be i really i mean more accurately i really hope it's not like a dog whistle or something yeah. more problematic than just mocking this idea that beauty standards are completely arbitrary and if we all decided beady yeah. eyes were hot we'd all be lining our eyes to make them look smaller tomorrow <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's definitely yeah this is this one and i yeah. think the last three definitely benefit a lot from the added context yeah she also does i really like what she does with houses in motion her her melody lines add a lot more emotionality to it which i think really helps the song yeah I don't have too much on Houses of Motion other than it's just really funky. It is funky. Both versions are funky. Both versions have a groove. Yeah. And then we have Listening Wind and The Overload. So let's talk yeah. about Listening Wind first. This is a lovely little story about a man who sees that his African village is being overtaken by colonizers and sends a bomb to people. Yep. It's an awkward song in a lot of ways, but like... I mean, let's face it. Colonize the entire system of colonialism is based on violence. So, like, yeah, it's it's very violence is gonna happen. Yeah, it's basically David Byrne writes things fall apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's like that very dark sentiment. But you know, it's like that. Ult ultimately, you have to recognize like people who have been oppressed yeah. and trodden upon and killed, trying to take something back like there is the sympathy and, there and like it just gets so evocative yeah. with the sound and that is that is yeah she does a lot with the evoking of the sound on her cover that is really really good um that's also yeah. a very important part of 80s alt i think devo called it like cynical americana <laughs> like yeah. with devo it's very much all those like pseudo peppy kind of speeches and all that sort of chanting um, yeah. And for David Byrne, it's like, we're going to write a song about a man who decides to kill a bunch of Americans. Yeah. <laughs> different tone, different approach, same general ethos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then of he course, has said, David Byrne has said in an interview that he doesn't know if he could get away with performing Listening Wind live anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if Angelique has, Angelique has performed it live, but she managed to cover it in 2018, so. Yeah. Yeah. And she, I, I think that that track definitely does benefit from being sung by somebody who, I don't think she ever lived through something precisely like this, but she would have been adjacent to stuff like this. Yeah. She, like, regardless of where you are on the continent, you're dealing with at least some of the consequences of yeah. post-colonialism. Like, I don't, from her life story, I don't think she was even remotely involved in anything like this, but... And then we have the overload, which is on the original album, genuinely eerie. <laughs> yeah, I think they said at one, at least one person said that it was them trying to do Joy Division, just from oh, like the yeah. descriptions people gave of Joy Division, but not actually listening to Joy Division, which is hilarious. And I do that all the time. <laughs> it's a copy of a copy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is another one that I think Angelique's version 
improves. She doesn't destroy the eeriness of it, but she does turn it down a little, which I do, or at least from what I remember from listening to it, she turns it down a little, which I like. Because on the original album, the overload is just so creepy and gothic, and it comes out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not opposed to that per se, but I would like a little bit of warning before all of a sudden I have all this minor key organ in my earphones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's definitely... I do agree it's a lot darker with the it's the very electronic ambient and it's like the talking heads version is very sorry sorry you finish your thought first <laughs> i think we were going in the same direction like transitioning to how angelique flips it yeah her production is a lot more industrial um <clears throat> it's still got that it's still got her usual like more acoustic style instrumentation she uses throughout the album i, I should have mentioned it earlier I think it's called a tabla or something, that like kind of Indian drum that has like that boom, boom sort of sound to it, mm. which I like. Um, but I think that one's the overload, The overload, she goes a lot more almost industrial with it, which I think is interesting because I think she's trying to get at the same tone that the Talking Heads are trying to get at with their kind of Joy Division sort of sound. But to get that same tone in 2018, you have to go a lot more harsh and industrial. So there's a lot more like clanging and grinding. Which I think yeah. works well. Again, this album is very much, I mean, the original album, which she's borrowing ideas from, I would assume, is very much about getting sort of ground under the boots of 1980s capitalism. So it makes sense that she'd borrow some of that industrial sound to get that same effect. Yeah. I think yeah, hers is a lot more homogeneous with the rest of the album it makes a lot more sense like if i were to skip from say the great curve to the overload it's a lot less of a tonal jump which i think we're yeah. in favor yeah i would definitely agree there and her style just like makes it definitely that and then just like comes the natural conclusion to the you know uh, what you call it listening wind where it's like everything's falling out and like when it's an unjust system it's like the system overloading and falling apart it's actually a good yeah. thing if it's like i'm just i'm pretty sure there's even an oblique yates reference in the lyrics with yeah. the center is missing things fall yeah. apart and cannot hold yeah and so i would honestly say it's a little bit more hopeful than david burr his version yeah. interesting choice but yeah good very good album it's i think it's probably one of my oh absolutely personal, one of the personal favorites that i've got over on the show take that i don't know zero in nagaki yeah good times uh any last thoughts sir Really, both of these albums were really good. I'd never heard of Angelique Kidjo before having to listen to this album, and I want to check out more of her music now. She's really talented. Yeah, yeah. I haven't, I hadn't heard of her until I like stumbled across an article about this very album. Yeah, I checked out a bit of Lugozo, and so it's an interesting lesson. Like it's very, it's very '90s, <laughs> a bit more '90s poppy, but it's interesting. Like, go around, see what you can find, see what you, it's. But yeah. Alright, well, in that case, that's about all the time we have for today. The albums we listened to were The Much Much How How and I by Cosmo Sheldrake and Remain in Light by Anjali Kidrill. I'm Caleb Clark. I'm Madeline Campbell. And thank you for listening to the Billy Cheers Club.